Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Infrastructure, the podcast which tells you about everyday infrastructure projects across the UK and around the globe, covering anything from roads to railway to aviation and futuristic projects in the making. We always aim to be both informative and entertaining while having a good laugh along the way. Hosted by myself, Martin Lamb and Louis Monford, this time we'll have your responses from our last episode on the mega futuristic project The Line, then it's back to the railway this time to talk about an old railway link being resurrected and restored in East West Rail. This is Infrastructure. One, two, three, four. So here we are again, another episode. Yep. This time, East West Rail. Yeah, so third episode then. Uh, before we get into kind of the new subject, I think we're going to go back, aren't we, and talk about... We had good responses from the line, didn't we? Yeah, so we, uh, we had some response from Jordan Pitt from Manchester, who said, Hard not to compare the line to books and films about dystopian futures, in particular, Snowpiercer. Hopefully, an enclosed society functions better in real life, but I think I'll stay out of the line just in case. And that was from Jordan Pitt from Manchester. And I agree, to be fair, because we've seen some photos now, haven't we, of the line yeah we have seen some photos of it and you aren't quite happy with it are you now <laughs> but now you're seeing what it, you think i don't want to live there anymore no i just i, I feel like it's going to be quite enclosed yeah obviously we know there's now no roof on it and i feel like it's going to like it's not going to be a lot of light in there no we were saying because when we looked at the pictures before we thought there's going to be a roof on it but it turns out there is no roof and it's kind of got its own ecosystem and we were kind of talking about this we're not quite sure how that would even work with the heat in the desert are we no, because everything's like it's going to be hot in there as well, isn't yeah. it? So who knows? And I mean, the pictures look nice; it looks nice, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if I want to want to be there. Because there's like trees on the rooftop, there's solar panels either side, but the actual kind of main atrium, although it says it's not really a street, the kind of the light that comes in, I just don't see how they're going to keep it cool, do you really? No, but I suppose that you're going to have to. I mean, it's only like being outside in Dubai or somewhere similar now isn't it but you're air conditioned aren't you in that environment it's not like you're in the bright sunlight so maybe they don't actually know how to keep it maybe it's sort of work in progress i mean i guess the the bit that's open to the air is the outside space yeah. and the shops and etc on the inside bit are going to be cooled anyway so oh, yeah. i guess that's the the outside space that we were quizzing on last time maybe it's like only the, the middle kind of atrium or something on the different levels that there's access to them but wouldn't it be quite dark maybe wouldn't it well that's what i mean it's like we're still not sure are we <laughs> we're still bewildered by this project i we? i find it very strange uh, we did have other few a couple of other responses the general feedback is a um, really interesting podcast uh, this one was i wasn't even aware it was a thing clearly lots of unknowns and reading more into it lots of controversy over human rights and safety um ecology uh, not wanting to be skeptical but i reckon it'll be like the world islands in dubai never finished great podcast by the way that's quite nice, oh, that's nice. <laughs> quite a few good responses on on that episode but i think maybe we'll come back to the line maybe in in, in future years potentially if we're going that long oh christ yeah <laughs> years uh no um it's probably something we need to come back to i think so maybe when more information comes out and, and the bill gets a bit further maybe well uh section one completed in 24. it was 2024 wasn't it really yeah. so yeah we, we found it fascinating talking about it and i think we'll definitely try and come back to it in other episodes yes well, there's always going to be something to talk about regarding the line, whether that's the human rights or the building. <laughs> but on to today's subject, we're going kind of back to the railway, aren't we? We are. We're discussing today East-West Rail. East-West Rail is a new railway line that will connect East Anglia with Central, Southern and Western England. The project aims to re-establish links between Oxford and Cambridge, 
which would improve connectivity between the two cities and the surrounding areas. The line would also provide a direct rail link between East Anglia and the Midlands, as well as connecting London and South East. The project is being developed by the East West Rail Consortium, which is made up of local authorities, businesses and other stakeholders. Yeah, the project is also being developed in two phases, with the first phase involving the Bista reinstatement of the railway line between Bista and Bletchley, with a new station at Winslow. Oxford to Bista and Bletchley to Bedford already being existing lines, with the second phase being reinstatement of the line between Bedford and Cambridge with new proposed stations. The total route is going to be 100 miles long when finished, uh, cutting journey times by up to 50%, with the cost expected to be around £5 billion pounds seems uh, quite cheap compared to a cost of one, of one at hs2 station as well oh, and, yeah and the, the stations of hs2 uh, it's also being funded by a combination of government funding and private investment so i think the first thing i was going to say is east to west rail links in the uk are diabolical aren't they not even just rail links just general links whether that comes to roads as well because it's is it the backbone of Britain? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, you've got all the big motorways all seem to go north to south, really. There isn't many that go across, and those that do tend to be just dual carriageways, don't they? Yeah, and A-roads. A-roads. But I suppose this is why uh, Transpennine route upgrade, TRU, yep. is coming into play as well. That's a improvement on the existing railway line as well. So really, any 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 link east to west, we're in favour of, aren't we? I think we need more of these kind of east to west rail projects, and I don't know why more haven't come out, you know, until now, really. Yeah, well, if you think about Let's pick a place, Lancaster. Yeah. Lancaster trying to get across east. There isn't, like, how to get across? You have to go a bit further up, don't you, to go across? To and go it up. takes a lot longer. Yeah. Even, like, when you think the M62 does go Manchester to Leeds, but it goes a long way up and down, and, and, the, and the rail links between Manchester and Leeds still take a long time for the distances. Actually, they're actually quite close together, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. What? How long does it take? Is it? Uh, if you're going on a, a, t- a Transpennine, you're looking at an hour, and if you're going by the Calder Valley, it's like an hour and 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, slow links when they I think that the actual cities are only what 30 40 miles apart they're not a lot at all no exactly I mean Transpennine route upgrade will be that will be positive that will speed up uh, the journey times and stuff like that but yeah this is exactly the thing I think it's exactly what we need just to give you a little bit of history behind it and we're going to talk a bit about beaching here do you know much about beaching Dr. Beaching Dr. Beaching what a guy so the original line then it was called the Varsity Line it was the main railway line that linked Oxford and Cambridge it was operated by the London and North Western Railway uh, with origins going back to the 1840s so quite a long time we're talking almost 200 years ago when the railways started when when we invented the railways and they all started and they were just flourishing everywhere back in the 1800s weren't they they were coming up everywhere well, which is positive and what we needed. Yes, and then of course, uh, in World War II, the line became a strategic route for freight, avoiding London with additional connections made to nearby lines to improve it, but it was not greatly used after the war. Uh, passenger services were withdrawn from most of the line on the 1st of January 1968 under the Beeching Act, which I'll tell you more about in just a second if you don't know about him, with only the Bletchley to Bedford section remaining opening for traffic. The Beeching Cuts were a major series of route closures and service changes made as part of the restructuring of the nationalised rail system in Great Britain in the 1960s and they are named for Richard Beeching. He was the vice president of ICI at the time and kind of the first businessman really that came into trying to change the railways into more of a business orientated approach. Uh, he was chair of the British Railways Board and the author of two reports, two famous reports actually that have it's been 60 years since they've been published this year. Uh, the reshaping of British Railways in 1963 and the development of the major railway trunk routes in 1965 and both of those outline the necessity of improving the efficiency of the railways and the plan for achieving this through restructuring which kind of at the moment feels quite 
current, doesn't it, when we talk about railway restructuring and what's kind of been going on with the strikes at the moment. I mean, but that's kind of where we are again, isn't it, 60 years later? Yep, same same position. Same. Um, I mean, Dr. Beechin, his plans were catastrophic. Yeah, I mean, the 1963 one is when the majority of these routes, including the one we're talking about today, the Varsity Line, the original Oxford to Cambridge line, they all stopped in kind of from mid-60s to late-60s. Uh, and, and it kind of ripped up a lot of the railways if he'd got his way with the major trunk routes paper in 1965 we literally would have been left with just like east coast mainline west coast mainline well that's great western that was it that would have been it that's what the report wanted wasn't it to yeah. get rid of all these branch lines and just having major stops yeah on the west coast like birmingham manchester or on the east york and doncaster yeah um but when you think about that that's that's not going to help a railway thrive is it because you want people using the railway to get to these major stations yeah. to then get onwards to either Glasgow, Edinburgh or London. So you'd want people coming from other stations like Atherton yep. or Salford Crescent or something something yeah. similar to get yourself to that major hub. That was kind of the report's downside, though. It didn't really take into account that people had to get in from other local places to get on the trunk routes, and that's where it was quite short-sighted. Mm. Well, it's, it's quite positive that he didn't get away with this, but obviously there was a lot of lines that did... Yeah, um, he was kind of employed by the Conservative government at the time. And then I think Labour took over around the mid-60s. And his his second report never got implemented. But by that point, a lot of the railway lines were already marked for closure. And when the Labour government came in, they didn't cancel a lot of the lines already. They said they couldn't do it for legal reasons, but they kind of let a lot of things go through and then made a stop to it as it approached the late 60s, early 70s, basically. I mean, certainly from where we're based, Manchester area, um, there's... There's a lot of railway lines that are needed now that sadly came to beaching. I mean, not far from where we're living right now and doing this podcast, really, when you think what was around, you know, the kind of the outskirts of Manchester. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a lot, a lot that's gone and there's a lot that we're crying out for now. Mm. And surely at the time of the report, it was known that traffic was going to increase on the railway. We're going to use the railway more. Uh, They're certainly trying Mm. to use the railway more now for getting more freight onto the railway, which is why HS2 is being built. So really, it was really short-sighted and quite devastating, really. I think at the point of when this report came out, that the railway was hemorrhaging so much money from what I've what I've read. You know, there was a every station had a station master. It had a it had someone underneath. It had a porter. I mean, it was very heavily staffed. And really, they didn't think about maybe efficiencies that could have been made at the time, or restructuring grades, or doing something similar to what people are talking about now. But saving money within the railway to keep the routes open was very short-sighted. And look. We're at this mess. And where we are kind of now today brings it bang up to date when they're, they're trying to do the same thing again. Again, it's short-sightedness. The, I mean, there's there's a lot that can change, but the top needs to change in yeah. order for the, the bottom to change. But if no one's willing to do anything, then we're going to be back at this position again of the railways aren't working, the railways aren't being funded correctly because no mm. one wants to fund the railways because it's just going to be seen to as lo- losing money. So... I hope we don't end up in a similar position. I don't think we will. No, we're I hope not. Us, but we don't want to end up in a similar position where we're starting to lose railway lines because of funding. Yeah, and I think that's the worry, actually. That is the real worry, I think, Louis, that nowadays that, like you said, I'd hope it doesn't happen, but that is the potential future we face if things don't improve with, I suppose, that there's the status quo between employees and, and the railway at the moment. We hope that we're going to see better things in the kind of coming years, I hope. Yeah. 
Um, but the good thing about this line, going back to east-west, it's good to see that a new line is kind of uh, going against the beaching acts and bringing back new lines again. Back in 87, the section between Oxford and Bicester was reopened, followed in 2015 by a connection to the Chiltern main line at Bicester, uh, enabling Chiltern Railways to operate an Oxford to London passenger service. So this was kind of in place already going back to the late 80s and even just seven years ago, eight years ago, that this was already in the pipeline, this this extension. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Bicester service is really well used and a lot of people use that. So that's positive, and surely that goes to show people want to use the railway if it works. Mm. And the runabout bringing people back to the railway, introducing new services and the likes will, will help do that. And I think this is a perfect example of, of getting people off their cars and into trains, and this east-west, I think, is going to be a, a good solution to that. Yeah, so they've very much started work, haven't they? Yeah, so there's two phases at the moment. So we're going to talk about phase two in a little bit because obviously that's kind of still in development and I think the final consultation has only just finished. So we'll talk about that separately. But yeah, the main two things at the moment are uh, Bicester to Bletchley. That's the bit that's being rebuilt. And we've also got Oxford to Bicester, which is already in place, but there's quite a few improvements that need to be made to kind of make it work properly, isn't there? Yeah, so improvements at Oxford, Oxford Parkway and Bicester Village. Uh, stations to accommodate more trains and more customers. Proposals for one or more additional platforms at Oxford Station, improvements to the track and the Oxford area to increase capacity for EWR trains to approach Oxford, alternative ways for vehicles and pedestrians to cross the railway at London Road in Bicester to improve safety and to enable a faster, more reliable train service and to reduce traffic on the roads, which again is what we um, we need that get get more trucks and everything on the railway. And I think what we, what you've said there is what we're saying is that to enable East West Rail to work properly, I'm not sure if these improvements have actually been signed off yet. I think from what I was reading, but they're in the pipeline and they, they kind of need to happen for the full potential of the line to be kind of envisaged. Really, yeah, because there's no point building a new railway line and not having the full potential on it. The original plan was for electrification. Yep, we're now down to a diesel line. <laughs> yeah backward step maybe do you know that this is a common theme that we talk about in the railway that things like this glorious project and it's always like it's downgrading things isn't it it's never going for like the gold and the best we could possibly have is it it's well they dream out this mega project yeah that's going to fix all these solutions and then when we get down to it they're like oh no mm, we can't afford that so we'll cut that bit yeah and i suppose there's only so much you can cut back as well the electrification surely would have been the last thing to cut back because we want electric trains. That's what they're pushing for at the moment. There's a lot of electrification work going on. So I mean, yeah, it apparently was originally planned to be electrified. Currently no plans due to the costs again. So at the moment, the East West Rail Company is seeking procurement bids for leasing a fleet of 12 to 14 three-car self-powered units with modifications, including ETCS, which is the European Train Control System for Signaling Level 2, and DCO, which is Driver Controlled Operation, capability supported by a full maintenance package with the lease being four years, which doesn't seem very long for a brand new traction, with an option to extend for two years. I mean, the cost of that alone, I think, a bit of a white elephant, those potential units, aren't they? Surely just putting what we've got on it at the moment is the best option. This is baffling because they're throwing all this money at all these new systems yeah. when they could just implement what we've got at the moment and it runs fine. So, for example, all the equipment for ETCS, they could spend on overhead wires, for example. Because level two isn't very high in the priority. I think there's four levels of ECTS, yeah, there is, isn't yeah. there? So level two is kind of one of the very basic levels, isn't it? Yeah, which still requires a lot of driver input. Yeah, so like you just said, is there the point of the cost of doing that for what is kind of a self-contained railway, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's going to be unique, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, and what traction do we think they're going to be using? I mean, can talk about what, what people have ordered recently, I mean, we know a bit about trains, but is it going to be something from CAF, do you think? Maybe some of these, I'm thinking, what my thing comes to something like 195s, 196s, 197s would be the, would probably the potential, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, um, I mean, they've all, all got the systems in place anyway, all the capabilities yeah. to work with all this new uh, stuff, so... Did you mention bi mode trains? Yeah, it did say uh, did it say bi mode in here? Yeah, self powered units. But I'm thinking if it's not got electrification, then would you have a hybrid of some description with some battery part where you could maybe operate part battery as well? Yeah, well, like the uh, the Stadler triple sevens. Yeah, for Mersey Rail, they they seem to be um, they're, they're testing those at the moment, aren't they? And the battery uh, yeah. performance is going better than expected. So oh, okay. maybe maybe they do something battery powered. But Stadler may be in the game. Nothing's been announced yet. All, all that we know is the service is going to be operated by Chiltern Rail. Yeah, Chiltern Railways, uh, even though originally it was supposed to be a separate rail company. But again, I don't really see how one rail company can operate as it, on its own consortium uh, and make money, to be honest. So I think probably putting it in with the Chiltern bid, in my opinion, might be a, probably a better idea to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it probably wants to make it like um, Hex, you know, Heathrow Express. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to try and use it like that. But it's quite an... Like extensive railway line, it's not a un- yeah. it's not unique, is it? It's not going to a, a an airport, for example, where a lot of people are going out of the way to use it because they're going away. Yeah, it's going to be a commuter service, so they're going to want to try and make it. Um, I think they're talking about the the Bicester to Bletchley section. East West Rail Alliance engineers are making solid progress. It's currently underway. It's being built as we speak. Construction of new railway line between Bletchley and Bedford, involving the construction of new bridges, tunnels, embankments, using loads of modern engineering techniques, and construction of a new station, including a new station at is it Winslow, isn't it? Winslow, it is, yeah, uh, in Buckinghamshire. Uh, construction of new bridges and tunnels, including a new tunnel under the M1 motorway uh, near Milton Keynes, and a refurbishment of the Bletchley flyover. Uh, High-level platforms, they've got to be raised at Bletchley Station and obviously making any railway crossings safer, plus upgrading track, doubling track, installing new... I mean, the list goes on here. A new and upgraded signalling, clearing vegetation. So there's a lot going on. And and you kind of were involved a bit with this, weren't you, in a kind of professional capacity fairly recently? Yeah, so obviously sending trains to the Bletchley Summit of Flyover, the construction of the, the main flyover and also the stations, because, I mean... You go through there quite a lot through yep. Bletchley. Uh, you'll know it's quite a magnificent structure, really, yeah. across the West Coast mainline. Yeah. And I was involved in sending trains down there to um, help with the construction of it. And that in itself was quite complex because there was a lot of things that were being sent to the site, for example, sensitively directional equipment, whether that be for new point work. So everything had to be sent down to site correctly. And it's, it's been quite nice to be involved in a little bit of that. Yeah. But it's quite impressive, the new platforms at the top. It fits in quite well with the station, I think. It, it looks good. And that's complete. It's done, I think. Yeah, it's not far off being finished. Is it 2025, I think, it's due to be finished, this section? But I suppose they carry ballast in there, don't they? Everything has to come in yeah, the train. Yes, so the HOBC, which is the high-output ballast cleaner, Yeah. which is the train that particular freight operator have a contract to run they send that down there they send a load of ballast down there track and all of the supplies that is needed for the actual construction of the line so a lot of that anyone who has any interest in the railway will know the amount of trains that go to site mm-hmm. every day every week and there's a lot that's quite a big logistical project and the track bed was already there wasn't it it must have been clear they're not really compulsory purchased anything on that line so I mean, it's obviously been kept as it was pretty much isn't it yeah before. they've obviously dug out the embankments a little bit more yeah. and, and track alignment has changed slightly but yeah 
nothing has changed regarding compulsory purchase, purchase. but although we believe compulsory purchase has happened on this project in phase two. Yeah, let's that's, that's just touch on phase two because this is the second part, really. So with Oxford to Bicester is, is due to be opened in 2025, but the second phase is Bletchley to Cambridge. Now, this one, a lot of the old existing route has been built on, so they've had yeah. to find new ways around it. Mm-hmm. The third phase of the project involves the construction of a new railway line between Bedford and Cambridge, which will involve the construction of the new bridges, tunnels and embankments. And the recent consultation only just finished, didn't it, in, in May? Yeah, because there was they still had six proposed routes they yeah. were going to try and navigate around so they they weren't sure which way they were going to go although in the the original proposals for the project they they actually turn around and say oh yes we'll be we'll be planning the route this way however there's a load of new stations being built as well isn't there for that for the new proposed route yeah because originally sent neots and sandy i think were on the original list and they've decided to go a different way now yeah that's correct uh, the current route, May 2023, literally this was just last month, following consultation, East West Rail published its preferred route for the new line between Bedford and Cambridge. So the preferred route, which will be subject to statutory consultation in the first half of next year, includes a new interchange station with the East Coast Main Line at Tempsford. Yes. So, so that'll be a station that serves both East West Rail and the East Coast Main Line then. Yeah, so that was option beyond plan six apparently so that was the last one yeah and then a station then to be built at Camborne south which is going to be a new station i believe yeah and then it's going to go in via cambridge but rather than coming in from a northern approach now it's going to come in from a southern approach and serve the brand new cambridge south station which is currently being built on the west anglia mainland which i used to drive in yeah, there we go in about uh, about 10 years ago back in the day back in the day yeah because you used to go shelford then cambridge but now cambridge south is going in between the two and that's due to open uh, in 2025 which is going to serve it's like a biodiversity area it's very scientific Cambridge not far from Addenbrooke's but it's it's also near a guided busway so they've, they've put it in a good place mm-hmm. and they're thinking I suppose East West Rail going via that station will generate more revenue for the line yeah so there was there was other routes proposed as well uh, which is via St Newt's South station that was a new station that was going to be built then over towards a northerly section through Cambridge North and then dropping oh, back okay. in as well yep. there wasn't any major stations between St. Newt's um, but there was also St. Newt's you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah that one Um, but there's there's also like there was three different routes for it to take and I know they've had to compulsory purchase some land yeah, well, 60, only 65, not, nothing too major. 65 houses? Yeah. Oh, well, thank, thank Lord. Yeah, only 65, demolition of 65 houses, but that's in the Bedford area, so it's actually just as you come out of Bedford, it's just so additional two tracks can be laid north of Bedford Station, but it's still 65 people's homes that have to be compulsory purchased as a result. I suppose 65 people are being displaced, but how many more is it going to benefit the new railway line? So? Well, exactly, and you were talking about that northern approach. The, the southern approach is actually more expensive to build, but East West Rail believes it would bring greater economic benefits to the region, and it's been endorsed by the fabulous Secretary of State. Yes, we love the Secretary of State, Mr Mark Harper. <laughs> what a wonderful man. <laughs> uh, confirming the government's continued support for the project. Yes, wow. endorsing it. I'm sure we're all very He grateful. loves the railways, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't talk about the previous two transport secretaries, which were even worse. But uh, in and out, yeah, in and out, basically. So, but yeah, so it's got the government support, is what they're saying. Um, so this hasn't obviously been signed off yet, has it? Either this this southern approach, it's still um, out for consultation, but we're due to be ready in the beginning of next year. No, uh, exactly. Like uh, I was, I was watching something actually about a fortnight ago about the project and it was an MP who originally supported the project. Oh, okay. It was all for the project yeah, yeah. because of the original plans and the original routing. However, like you said, the project has now 
drifted south. Okay. Um, there's new that new tunnel that's been built under the M1, and he um, he's saying, for example, he doesn't support the project as much as he used to because it's not providing for the areas that he says. originally pl- no no uh, originally planned for oh, example okay. so um it was quite interesting to hear from that point there's a lot of there's still quite a lot of opposition about this there's a lot of opposition from the environmental point of view as well um people worried about what it's going to do to the area mm-hmm. which is always going to be people like that but the, we've got, you've got to weigh up the benefits for that as well yeah, I mean, there's there's few benefits and, and potential issues with both of these, really. Uh, expected to create thousands of new jobs, boost the economic growth in the area, reducing car usage, really. The, the journey time alone will be from Oxford to Cambridge. It takes around two hours now. It's going to go down to one hour. I mean, that's quite impressive. That's good. That will bring people to the railway, which is, again, positive. We need the people coming to the railway. Yeah, and with the Cambridge South Station, like I mentioned before, it will serve the new Cambridge Biomedical Campus close to Addenbrooke's Hospital, the guided busway and the adjacent suburb of Trumpington. That's kind of the nearest town to, to that station in Cambridge. So, again, encouraging more people to use the train and out their cars. Yeah, and the project is also expected to reduce congestion on the roads and improve air quality, encouraging more people to use public transport. I think that's definite pro, in my opinion. All, all those really are about reducing things. Uh, looking at the potential benefits i think they're quite good yeah no uh, negatives i don't think other than what what was originally planned and promised which always seems to change there's Mm. never seems to be something that's fixed so for some people it may be quite disappointing yeah, I suppose if you were originally on the sandiest section, which is originally when it was going to come in via the north section, and you're not going to, and it's drifted, like you say, south now, you're going to miss out on those opportunities that would have, you know, because it crosses the East Coast mainline at Sandy anyway, doesn't it? You'd have probably had an interchange close to Sandy instead of the other town that we're talking about. Was it Thamesford? Thamesford, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's not, I guess that's where that um, MP was coming from, where it's, there's, there's been a promise and that's been let down. Mm. Um, but this has only just been signed off anyway, so. It's, there's probably a lot of people or not signed off sorry there's probably a lot of people that are only going to start reading about it fairly soon and only realizing the impact on their mm. their particular life there's again businesses that probably um businesses what sorry <laughs> <laughs> businesses that probably are businesses that are going to appreciate people coming correct yeah businesses that are going to Appreciate the links, probably. Yeah, appreciate the links, or waiting yeah. for the links, just like we have with High Speed Two and Crossrail, yeah, or the Elizabeth Line. So there's there's going to be that. And tend to, when you tend to get a railway, a new railway line coming in, it tends to attract businesses to the outskirts of it, doesn't it? With better rail links, people getting to work, moving stuff around, and potential maybe for freight to use it. I don't know whether it's being gauged for freight, but uh, you know it's a potential, isn't it? Even if it's the kind of a parcel train, because we're trying to get into these um, using old. Uh, EMUs now are we electrical multiple units for the parcel service that kind of thing could well I, su- I suppose it opens up the possibility for distribution centres yes, to be built nearby probably, yeah, yeah, correct, um, yeah. or local distribution centres LDCs for ba- potentially network rail because network rail have strategic locations around the uh, rail network like for example Crew Bass of Tall, mm-hmm. Carlisle New Yard some other ones Looking at the, the negative side of it, and one new thing touched on is not... I think my biggest worry with this is it's the second section beyond Bedford hasn't been signed off. No. And going on current form with what's going on and the fact I don't think this current government likes railways that much, my worry, I think it could go down the HS2 route and potentially be kiboshed and never go past Bedford. And then I think it would be a, a waste of the resources they're putting into it, again, the, the cost point of view. Well, yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen because if, if that second portion doesn't go ahead phase two 
the project's a waste. Mm-hmm. Is it really that beneficial having a Bletchley to... Yeah, there's already been the Bletchley to Bedford bit. It's the kind of the Oxford through to Bletchley, isn't it, that we're looking at, and to Bedford. Yeah, that, and that, that, that'd that be really well used. Yeah. And I think it, it genuinely would attract a lot. And it opens up career possibilities for other people. Mm. Because, for example, if they can commute within an hour to uh, Cambridge or the likes, they might want to go and work somewhere in Cambridge. The rail infrastructure and travel infrastructure really does depend on what people choose as locations to work. And not forgetting that Oxford and Cambridge are both massive university cities as well. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, I've only ever had a... I know there's something called, I think it's called the Oxford Tube, I think it is. It's a coach service that runs between the two cities. It's quite frequent. I think it's like, you know, a couple of times in a, an hour. But that's a two-hour journey. So, you know, two massive towns that have never had a proper connecting service, and this is going to reduce it to an hour, I think, you know. That would be good for, like, bringing in university students from yep. and people that might not actually have to live on campus anymore. Mm. And it brings funding into the railway, passengers buying tickets. So there is a lot of positives around it as well as... Yeah, I think the the only potential issues I see with this is, A, it's not been electrified from day one, which I think it's a bit of a short-sighted again, not electrifying it and maybe procuring diesel trains when we're trying to go away from diesel. That's number one. And I think number two, if the Bicester and Oxford improvements don't happen, they said they can't really run two trains per hour without improvements of the two. So the potential is they don't spend the money there because I don't think that's necessarily included within the five billion. I think there's a bit of extra that's not going to be signed off. Then you're again restricting it to an hourly service potentially. And to me, an hourly service isn't appealing for a turn up and go, is it? No, an hourly service is a waste of a new line. Yeah. Um, same, for example, a new station that's been built near us yep. in Goulburn. If the train operator or the government aren't going to allow them to run a half-decent service from it, then people aren't going to want to use it. I mean, the whole thing's a waste in mm. my eyes. Put put some good services behind it and it'll attract people to use it. You just have to look at the um, statistics from stations before and after COVID that, for example, that didn't get a good service before and now I've got a really good service. Passenger usage, mm-hmm. usage has gone up. Yep. So there's probably a lot of stations out there don't get a good frequent service and the reason the passenger numbers are so low is because the service is so poor yeah if you increase the service you're going to get more people using it aren't you so that brings more money in so let's hope there's going to be a good quality service uh, to and from the stations and it needs a minimum of, of two trains per hour i mean that's still only a half an hourly service but at least with half an hour it isn't quite turn up and go but at least you can predict you know you can you can get a train within your time scale can't you if you need to be somewhere there should be a minimum service level of half yeah. an hour i think i don't i don't think they should be allowed to run an hourly service in some stations because again it's limiting who can use it i agree and it's short-sighted when you're trying to grow like you say grow travel grow passengers grow revenue for the railway i mean the, the railway needs that revenue post covid now we should be encouraging it's like a lot of the train companies now they've cut back service and nothing's fully been restored but to me you need to have those services those turn up and go service to encourage people out of their cars and onto the trains yep uh, Manchester Piccadilly, for example, cross country. Yeah. Operate, oh, yes. Operated a, an hourly service after COVID, and then they've increased it now to um, to an hour. So every half an hour, a lot of people now are using that. There's yeah. a lot more people traveling from Birmingham and surrounding areas to Manchester. Mm. And it's a generally a positive feeling from passengers the fact that, wait, we've got another service back. Yeah. It gives them a bit more flexibility and opportunity. No, I completely agree with you. I'm all for getting more services on this cutting back stuff. Is you know, I think the only way you can ever increase revenue is to increase services, and people don't seem to realise that, do they? Really? No. 
Right, so let's kind of sum up, I suppose, really. We got to that point now where final opinions and our kind of view. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I think use for Israel is positive. It'll be good when phase two opens and the line is finally complete. Mm. And I think we'll, we'll really see the benefits. And potentially, there'll be businesses, new businesses, potentially new rail links on from that and freight and passenger services. Mm. Um, I believe that having a distribution centre nearby, potentially near Cambridge, link it to the West Coast, you've got plenty of opportunities for rail freight. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I think out of all the projects we've kind of covered so far on our oh, short little three episodes, but this to me is my my favourite in the sense that I think it's vital uh, to increase east to west links. I mean, I, I'm a southerner. I used to live not far from Cambridge, only about half an hour away at Bishop Storford. And, and east to west links down that part of the world are, are terrible. And I think two major cities like this need to be connected by rail so i'm a massive favorite and it has to be extended to cambridge it can't stop at bedford it's short-sighted and i think the route they've they've actually agreed i think is that the better option okay certainly it's and sandy miss out but i think taking in the brand new cambridge south station is is really good because there's a guided busway which goes to huntingdon i believe doesn't yeah it? that's good guided busways are quite good as well yeah i mean we've got one not far from here in lee haven't we which should have been a railway really but again it's still good links every 10 minutes isn't it it's a good service so it does work it does work when first group can be bothered to run a service. <laughs> oh, no, I feel like this as well will promote uh, potentially other east-west rail yeah. links, um, maybe Lancaster to Leeds. Yeah. Who knows? I think it's just going to improve east-to-west links perfectly. Get people out of the cars onto the train. If it takes an hour versus two hours for a car, to me that's a no-brainer if you're going from city to city. Yeah, as long as they've got uh, good parking facilities. Mm. Maybe, like, cycle facilities. Yeah. Like, been to cambridge uh i haven't actually it's a very big on cycling i've never it's cambridge if you go to cambridge you literally see hundreds of bikes at stations i mean it's there is a proper cycling city so it's a major thing in cambridge yeah probably a lot of people cycle to the station yeah um so it might encourage bike routes to the station from other Mm. towns and stuff so that that'll be positive i think it's all positive the only thing i would add is that if if you could have electrified it from day one what i would have done is i'd have used Traction coming off lease, 321s, 319, still traction that's compatible. You know, it's DDA compliant for, mm-hmm. for sighting and disability. And I would have used that from day one. To me, that would have that would have saved the cost of procuring new trains. Is yeah. the only thing I would add. And they've got a lot of them sitting in storage in locations. Yeah. So the, the, the thing is, there's probably a lot of capability for cost mm. prevention, if that's the thing. Yeah. Well, cost savings elsewhere. Cost saving, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You could have cost saved it and then used that extra money instead of paying it for the trains, just put it on the electrification. Well, that's what I mean. So, for example, yeah. instead of buying new trains, yeah. put um, put the money towards some overhead line equipment. We don't actually know if there's future plans to wire it in. Is it going to be that much cheaper you not putting it in yeah now and having it i think i agree with that surely when you put in the infrastructure in from day one you put the masks in you put the thing a bit like they've done with the Staley bridge and the trans upgrade they've started to put things in place as they're building it and doing it up that's what i would have done but it seems to me uh, in the long term it will cost more and the current government isn't very pro electrification are they when really that's the best way of of improving carbon emissions yeah because you've got to think about if if and when they come to electrify it in the future they're going to stop passenger services, mm. disrupt people's it, yeah. daily habits, and that's going to annoy a lot of people and bring back a lot of controversy back to the railway and the project in the first place. 
Oh dear, it's like going around in circles with some of these things, isn't it, that we it cover is. again and again. But I mean, yeah, it's a really great, great topic, this one. And we want to hear your view about it as well. This is kind of your opportunity to tell us what you think about today's topic, East-West Rail. Are you in favour of better East-to-West links? We both are. Uh, is the proposed route for phase two between Bletchley and Cambridge the right one? And do you think it will ever happen? Is it also money well spent, if not electrifying the line from day one? And if the improvements at Oxford and Bicester don't happen? Are there any other questions still to be answered? And how do they get in touch if they want to drop us a line there, Louis? Well, you can send us your text on 07520 633522 or email us at podcast at and we'll read some of your responses out the next episode. Right, good. Yeah, get in touch. We want to hear from your views, don't we? Yeah, we do. Thanks for listening to our latest edition of Infrastructure with Martin and Louis. It has been great discussing East West Rail, a restored local railway link from east to west that should make a big difference in the coming years. In our next episode, we'll look at a very recent upgrade of LaGuardia International Airport, which we all know from Cactus 1549. Yes, exactly. The Hudson Landing. Yes, we'll be definitely interested about talking about that one. And don't forget to check out our past episodes on infrastructure on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music and Mixcloud. Other details are on our new Facebook page Ooh. at Infrastructure Podcast. Thanks to Martin. Thank you very much. Yes, definitely go and check it out. We want people more to view and like all our things on there. Yeah, because there's some additional content on there. We've got photos and plans of potentially the projects anyway. So. Yeah, for each episode now, we're going to make sure we put photos on and share with you what the project will look like. So we'll and make that, sure we do that for yeah, you. Yeah, help you visualise it yeah. a bit more so you can always listen <laughs> well, and look what we're talking about. Exactly. All the links are on the page as well. So, Brilliant. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see you again soon. In the meantime... Bye from us. Bye-bye.